Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back from Thanksgiving break. I hope you all had a lovely holiday. Just a few weeks until we're into another holiday break. I don't know if you guys have children out there and if they're in public school, but I do know that public school is off for three weeks this holiday season again. I think it's the 18th through the 5th. Ridiculous. But that does give us, what, three weeks of normalcy here between I've got to... Well, I say I've got to figure out my schedule. I know my schedule. I just know it's going to be wacky as all get up. I am Dan Vaspris. Welcome. 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 It's Fantasy NBA Today. We're back for a new week of shows. Twofer here on Monday. This one is our waiver wire show. We'll be going over the weekend in review. Reverse chronological lightning round. You guys know the deal there. Uh, anything that happened to any of the 30 teams over the weekend, we will be profiling that. We'll give you the ads. We'll give you the drops as it pertains to what's been going on there. And then just a quick little five-game Monday preview as we roll into uh, these kind of weird weeks coming up, mostly because of the uh, in-season tournament. Um, I don't think it's that nuts this week, if I'm not mistaken. I think this week is mostly okay until you get towards the end of it. And then next week, you'll have the uh, in-season tournament, like quarters and semis and stuff like that. and Or maybe the quarters are at the end of this week, but then semis and the finals, like the finals doesn't count for fantasy. And then other teams are off and they've got to rejigger all the st- schedules to make sure that everybody's got enough games going. So you know what day teams are playing, but you may not know where or who they're playing against. That's coming up, though. Luckily, we don't have to do a ton with that. But later on today, we will have our week uh, ahead show. That's with Derek Ball. Um, usually airs around 2 o'clock Pacific time, so make sure to stay tuned to that and subscribe to the YouTube page or Spotify or iTunes or however you take in the, our various contents so that you can get alerted when we have that show this afternoon. And I would like to once again remind everybody to please come hang out with us over on the Discord side. You guys may have noticed that I've been doing a little bit of a push on that front lately. And look, here's the here's the lowdown on that before we dive into all the fantasy stuff for the uh, the weekend here. We'll just we'll go through a whole bunch of stuff and so get ready. Don't worry, it's coming. Basically, here's where we're at. There is a at least a medium-sized likelihood that Twitter gets more and more messy over the next 6, 12, 18, 24 months, whatever it might be. Because so far, under Elon Musk, Twitter has gotten more complicated. However you want to, like, whatever you want to, however you feel about it right now, Twitter is still the fastest way to get your fantasy information. Is it easier now than it was a year ago? Absolutely not. It's more complicated. It's harder to use. You have to use weird plugins to get TweetDeck to work, if you even know what that is. The app is buggier. Finding your stuff in a feed of uh, edible weed ads is extremely annoying at times. So with the, to that end, we want to make sure you guys have a place to go if anything does ever truly befall X slash Twitter, where I still am doing almost all my stuff. I'm not abandoning it in any way. I'm going to continue to use it like it's going to be there forever. But I do also think there's a chance it's not. So come hang out with us in Discord. I put the link on the board there for folks that are watching on YouTube. 
It's in the show description for folks that are uh, listening on traditional pod channels. That's the place to be. Uh, already, folks are kind of hanging out in a fun little community there, but uh, certainly it's nice to have it as kind of an emergency backup. Okay, enough of that nonsense, enough of that uh, stuff. I know you could call it promo. I actually think it's sort of us just covering our bases. Let's talk about the weekend that was and see if we got anything we can do to fix up your fantasy teams. It's a 30-team reverse chronological lightning round. We'll go through Sunday and Saturday, and then we'll play the uh, weekly game of who didn't play over the weekend because Dan's too stupid to look it up beforehand. Anyway, here we go. Portland, Milwaukee. That was the early game. Milwaukee, this was a 32-point turnaround in this basketball game. Portland led by a bunch. This was the uh, Damian Lillard, if you want to call it a revenge game, which, again, like, revenge games are not always a thing. I think it's more gray than black and white on that one because certain players do get a little bit feistier to play old teams. Like, we saw DeAndre Ayton, I think, play harder against the Suns than he did against some other clubs. But this was a different one because I don't think the Blazers really begrudged Dame's departure. You know, he was their leader there for a decade. He put everything into that thing. Like, the only people that are annoyed with Dame about this are the fans. And it's not like they could show up and play in Milwaukee on behalf of the Blazers. So there wasn't really a true, what you call, revenge angle at play here. And frankly, Dame didn't shoot the ball that well. I know he had a big fantasy game, but if you wanted to say, oh, he did more because it was the Blazers, I don't think so. I think this is just what he's been doing against teams that aren't that great defensively. In any event, there will be times when you can exercise that rule. There will be other times where you can't. Point is here, there aren't that many fantasy angles at play in these two teams. Uh, Shaden Sharp continues to be a much better points league option than head-to-head. His rank actually is 190 in nine category leagues, but if you're punt- uh, punting field goal and turnovers, like it kind of has to be both, unfortunately. If it's just one or the other, if you're punting only field goals, that gets him up to 126, which is playable in most formats, but not great. Uh, and if you're punting both, that does finally move him inside the top 100. There's this weird disconnect, though, on Sharp, where like two weeks ago, I think I asked on Twitter, who's been your favorite pick so far this year and a lot of people were like "Ooh, Shaden Sharp and I'm looking back at that like are we are we looking at the same year now if you're punting both field goal and turnover he's number 75 so there you go that's how you get him inside there this is when we talk about on the show and on Twitter it's harder to do because you don't have, you have a character limit on a show I can just yammer as long as I want when I say someone is better built for head-to-head this is what I'm talking about A player who excels in a few categories, but is also quite bad in a few categories, and that's what sags their value down. It's not somebody that's just sort of like kind of okay in everything or like just sub-average in everything. Those guys either make sense for Roto or nothing at all. The guys that have this anchor, this weight dragging them down for sharp, it's field goal and turnover. These are guys that play better on head-to-head because most head-to-head teams are punting at least one thing. Scoot Henderson is probably the only angle worth looking at on the Portland side. Um, he played 27 minutes in this ball game off the bench, 13 points, four boards, and an assist. Did pick up five fouls. They're gonna bring him along. I think it's possible that Portland realized that uh, sort of shoehorning him into the starting lineup and just saying "Go get him, Scoot" was maybe not 
the best way to get him acclimated to the NBA. So they're kind of bringing him along now. He'll get to play against some second units. Better way to kind of get used to the tempo of an NBA game, the length of an NBA season, all that stuff. Now that he's back from injury, that one more an issue than it was before. Uh, do I think he's going to be in the starting lineup as the year goes? Absolutely. Tumani Kamara is not going to stick as the starting power forward for that team. They'll move some bodies around. It'll probably be Jeremy Grant sliding up a slot. So my answer to the question, which is the one that keeps getting asked, what do I do about Scoot, is the same. Can you effectively kind of luxury stash him in whatever format you're playing until, I would say, January at the earliest for me, the answer is typically no. For others, it might be yes. But we already know how this arc is going to go. It's the same as it is for almost every rookie ball handler coming into the NBA, where people have sort of the consensus, this guy is going to be very good. It takes three or four months for them to figure it out. Every time. DeAndre Ayton has leveled off. I suppose he's worth a very brief mention. Got off to that crazy hot start because of sort of an unsustainable steals number. Now he's settling back in. He's number 40. That's kind of around where I thought he'd be this year. And so no surprises there. Malik Beasley, and I said this in the tweet storm last night, he's in one of those, can we guess if this is going to be one of the Malik Beasley good game type of moments? And lately the answer has been more yes than no. Which, it's weird to say, like, we should have Malik Beasley on our fantasy teams, but he's number 106, which technically makes him a startable player in 9-cat. But he's also shooting 48.5% this year on what is basically a career low in usage rate. So a lot of the stuff with him feels wildly unsustainable. And if you're like, oh, he's just getting all these open looks next to Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Yes, that's true. But his steals rate is well above his career mark. His three-point percentage is a career-high 46 right now. His field goal percent is the best it's been since, he, since uh, 2018, and it's actually still better than that. So there's a lot of stuff going on with Beasley that does not feel like it's going to stick. And if you're looking at the up and down of his season, he's had like three or four mega games, and then everything else has been kind of crap. Do you want to risk that in a games cap format? I'm a big no on that front. Head-to-head side, I guess you could kind of throw them out there. You know you're going to get some three-pointers, but overall it's going to be generally more complicated than it's worth. And Bobby Portis is another one of the guys I wanted to talk about on that buck side because he's been a little bit up and down. Also a guy who technically belongs in lineups right now, coming off of two uh, crummy ball games, but he had four or five before that that were pretty good. And then this one was better again. He got some defensive stats, which is not really the norm for Portis. You can't expect that all the time. But it does seem like he's generally doing just barely enough with Jay Crowder out where he belongs in lineups. And you guys know I can't get past this game without talking about Brooke Lopez, who now is up to number 18 in nine category leagues. He's been ridiculous of late. I think over the past two weeks, he's number five in all of fantasy sports behind Shea, Kevin Durant, Embiid, and Tyrese Halliburton. Over the last two weeks, Brooke Lopez is averaging 17.5 points, two three-pointers a game, six boards, a steal, four blocks on 60% from the field, and 85% of the free throw line. If you're like, yeah, that's not sustainable, you'd be right. However... His slow start to the year also wasn't, because he was shooting 39%. We knew that wasn't going to stick. 
Where does Brook Lopez fall? Probably somewhere between where he started and where he's at right now. Do I think he's going to be number 18 all year? Unlikely. But it doesn't matter because you're not going to get proper value back for him if you sell on Lopez because the people that have him are the people that went and got him, which is generally us. Those of us who love the old man stuff. Ah, well. Hey, I forgot to tell you guys to follow me on Twitter at Dan Vespers. I know I talked about the whole Discord Twitter thing, but I am at D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S over there. Let's keep moving. Minnesota trounced Memphis. The Grizzlies are in a bad way. Nothing really to talk about on the Minnesota side. We had this sort of passing thought of, would anybody get fantasy value with Jaden McDaniels out? And Nikhil Alexander-Walker's soaked up most of the minutes, but he's not really doing much with them. So I think the answer is just no. Memphis, on the other hand. Okay, so Jaron Jackson Jr., we need to talk about him. He finally played a full complement of minutes in this ballgame, and he finally got more than two defensive stats to get his season mark up to 2.2 coming off of last year where he had four. His field goal percent is down about nine year over year. And then between those two things, that's really the difference in JJJ from last season to this one. He went from a guy who was getting four defensive stats a ball game to two. He went from a guy who shot 50% last year to a guy who's down near 40. Here's the thing. Number one, he's basically at a career low in three-point percent at 30. So I do think that number comes back. I don't think his field goal percent gets all the way back to 50 or 51, which was pretty unusual for him last year given that a solid third of his shots were coming from three-point land. And that's still where he's at. So his two-point percent was extraordinarily high last season. And without Ja around to get him open this year, you've seen that two-point percentage fall. You've seen the three-point percentage fall. Everything else has been kind of normal, with the exception of the defensive stats. Steals are down and blocks are down. Do I think JJJ gets back to that number 12 spot? That was always going to be a tough landing point for him because he needed to reproduce three blocks a ball game, which is far easier said than done over an entire year. He could still get back there. Anything's possible. But I think you have to adjust a little bit for maybe not getting all the way to that. Do I think he gets up from 2.2 defensive stats where he is right now? Yes. Do I think his field goal percent trends up at some point this year? Yes. So to that end, JJJ feels like one of the bigger buy lows on the market. Question is, where do you think he's going to go and how much you think you could, you'd could you have to pay to get him right now? We'll talk more about that tomorrow on our buy low show of the week where he will probably be back again. Folks, picture this nightmare scenario. You're hosting friends for the big game. It's neck and neck in the fourth quarter, and suddenly you realize you're out of drinks. Ooh, say all of your friends. You start to sweat. Your friends turn on you. You're forced to go on a last-second drink run and end up missing the game-winning touchdown while in line. Oh, no. Terrifying, isn't it? Luckily, you can avoid the drama with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. With Drizzly, you can shop a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your watch party. 
Compare prices across multiple stores in your area, find the best deals on game day drinks, and get back to armchair quarterbacking from, you guessed it, your armchair. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Otherwise, for Memphis, I think you can stream Santi Aldama. I know he wasn't as good in this one with just 14 and 7. But overall, he's just simply getting enough shots up and playing time where he should probably be in lineups. No, I'm not starting Bismarck Biombo. We've seen this story one too many times, and that's kind of where I'm at with the Grizzlies. Charlotte had some news as well. Lamella Ball went down with an ankle sprain. Um, Basketball Monster, you can see on your screen if you're watching, they have it listed, or a strain, actually, excuse me. They have him listed as expected out for two ball games. I might go a little higher on that expectation just because of Ball's ankle issues historically. So this sucks. The good news, I guess, if you want to call it that, is that Terry Rozier came back. And now he, I mean, he was bad as the point guard last year, but at least he can sort of slot into that role. He'll get a lot to do. He won't do as much as LaMelo was doing. So that means that there's going to be usage for other guys to have. Miles Bridges is doing a ton. Uh, Brandon Miller is going to get to do more. I would assume Gordon Hayward jumps back up to doing a little bit more. So um, definitely a hold on Hayward. I know he's bad in yesterday's game because he missed a bunch of free throws and shots. But overall, his role is going to increase here with LaMelo out. Now, I think, and then as Brandon Miller goes, I'll be honest with you guys, when he had this better ball game, and I, was, I looked at it, I was like, hmm, has he done anything recently? And the answer is kind of, you know, he had 15 points in the previous game. He played 40 minutes the night before that at 9, 7, and 4. And then he had a 29-point game before that. So he's been coming on a little bit. Hotter. Of late, that certainly plays a role. He has 11 three-pointers in his last four ball games. Probably not a number that sticks since he had two in his previous seven games. And this is a spot, I think, where we just have to look and say, all right, somebody's running hot right now. Brandon Miller's running hot. He'll probably continue to do so for, I don't know how many, a couple more games. And he'll have more usage with no LaMelo. So you could probably play Miller... In all formats, you could almost definitely play him in head-to-head. Roto is more of the question mark there. Uh, Bridges, if you're comfortable rooting for him, obviously he's a go. Rozier's a go. Uh, I'm, I don't have Miles Bridges. And then Gordon Hayward, for me, slots back in as a go as well. Orlando's a team that didn't have a ton of storylines up until about uh, three or four games ago. And then Cole Anthony just caught fire. I mean, he's gone completely nutso. And this was like the mega game to end all mega games. Thing is, over the entire season, Cole Anthony is still outside the top 150. And so when I typed stuff like that in on Twitter over the weekend, people were like, what are you talking about? Cole Hanley's been incredible. Well, he again fits more that head-to-head profile where over the last two weeks, since he's sort of kicked it into a higher gear, he's been a nice positive impact free throw guy. He's been a okay impact points, boards, and assist guy from a guard spot, but he hasn't done much defensively. His field goal percent has been kind of a medium-sized negative, and so those things do counterbalance each other. What does that mean? Well, while he's running this hot, you can probably play him in every format. Okay? We have to react to the stuff that's happening right in front of our eyes. Over the last week, Cole Anthony's been extraordinary, and he's been a top 50 play for seven days. 
which I think for is three or four games for him. Weighted heavily by this last one where he went for 30 points, seven boards, seven assists, two steals, and a block. His steals and blocks have been up the last week. His free throws have been very high the last week. The Magic have been playing out of their minds. And you'd like to say, oh, well, you know, defense has helped. Yeah, Charlotte defense stinks, but he did some of it against Boston. They're a good team. He did some of it against Denver. They're a good team. So it's not like you can say, oh, well, he just had these cake pastry matchups. He's just been really hot. And while he's running hot, Orlando's giving him extra playing time. So play Cole Anthony while this is going. Some of it has to do with the fact that Markel Fultz has been out for a few weeks. Okay, that's fine. Um, But it's okay to ride a hot hand. It also seemed like at the end of last week, Goga Batadze had kind of won the center job, and then Mo Wagner had a huge game against Boston, and then they basically split 37 minutes in this one, and we're back to, I don't know. What do you get when you cross an elephant and a rhino? There's the answer to your question of who to start between Batadze and Mo Wagner. Elevino. So I'm going to probably go back to neither. Suns, without Kevin Durant, last two ball games, and if you thought, oh, boy, Devin Booker gets to do a lot when Bradley Beal is down, Devin Booker gets to do even more when Beal and Durant, and Grayson Allen, for whatever that's worth, are all out. This is the Devin Booker show. 25 shots and 11 assists. This was like when Trey Young didn't have anybody running next to him either. You're going to get some absolutely ridiculous fantasy lines out of Booker right now, so enjoy the hell out of it. Is it a sell high? A little bit, but you're not going to get anybody better than where you drafted Booker anyway, so stick with it. I still think that he cools substantially when both Book, uh, Beal and D- Durant are there, but we are now more than a month into the fantasy season, and such a game has not yet happened. This is reminding me an awful lot of last year when I was like, yeah, Trey Murphy, you just keep rolling him out there until the Pelicans get healthy, and people were like, Dan, he's better then a streamer, and I was like, maybe, we haven't seen it. Obviously, Booker is not the same thing. He's, he's you know, a top 30 play no matter how you shake it out. The question is, is he a top 6 play, which he is right now, when everybody's cooked on that team, or is he more like 20 when they're fully healthy? We'll find out. Either way, you're in good shape right now. Uh, would I stream Jordan Goodwin if everybody's out again for the next ball game? Eh. Maybe. I think him playing well and being hot helped. Eric Gordon is your safe play, if we can even call it that, with both uh, Durant and Beal down because he's the most likely to go take 15 shots. And that could hurt you in a lot of ways, but he's ma- he's liable to make three to five three-pointers if he's getting that many looks at a bucket, and you kind of just have to roll with that. Kata Bates-Jop is the guy who got the start for KD. He can do some across-the-board stuff, but he profiles more as just sort of your standard run-of-the-mill streamer as opposed to someone you can use in all formats. I really have to be careful with my words. When I call somebody a streamer, I'm probably talking about head-to-head. When I call somebody an injury fill-in or an all-formats guy, that should be a little bit more across-the-board. By the way, the uh, Jalen Brunson by low window has officially expired. He's now inside the top 50 and 9-cat after another big ball game here, so no surprises there. Uh, Emmanuel Quickly's minutes have been trending up a little bit. He's another guy who profiles much better in head-to-head than Roto because, again, pretty good in points, decent in threes, very good free throws, not much else. 
So the bad outweighs the good for Roto on Quickly, but the good probably outweighs the bad in head-to-head because presumably you're punting something in head-to-head. Is it steals? Is it blocks? Is it boards? If it's any of those things, Quickly has a big boost in value. He's a very good punt steals guard. Those are all these weird little hoops you got to jump through, but it, it, it all makes sense if you look at it deeply. R.J. Barrett finally had a quiet ball game. I Like, he's been one of the easiest sell guys to start the year, and now he's kind of petered out. He's number 147 in 9-cat. This was the least surprising thing on planet Earth, so let's just keep on going. Oh, Josh Hart, probably droppable. I feel like I've now made up my mind. We've seen them in some competitive ball games. He's in minutes have been more like 24 to 28 as opposed to 28 to 31. When R.J. Barrett is healthy... Josh Hart does not get to play enough. Hawks. Oh, forgot I haven't done a show since Jalen Johnson went down. That's sad. That makes me sad. It makes me frown. Jalen Johnson out for a month, maybe a little bit longer with a pretty bad wrist sprain. That sucks. Uh, Sadiq Bey is likely your fill-in guy. I know he didn't do all that much in this ballgame, but he's almost definitely going to play 29 or more minutes most every ballgame. He was at 29 exactly in this one, or he was like seven seconds shy of it. Uh, he'll have more than seven points in most of these games. He'll, uh, he'll get you some rebounds. He'll get you some threes. He'll get you some steals. It should be good enough for all formats, I think, on Bay. Because the other options there are just not. How's that for analysis? DeAndre Hunter is back into one of his ridiculous heaters. You want to talk about like one of the streakiest players in the NBA. Hunter is that guy. He's, uh, it was nuts. He started the year shooting like 55% for two weeks, and he was a top 50 guy. And then he just vanished. I mean, completely and uh, totally disappeared. After his first five games, he, he scored 9, 27, 15, 26, and 23 points. And then over the next, let's see, what is that? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8 games. He went for 4, 8, 12, 10, ooh, 16, 5, 9, and 7 points. And remember, he doesn't do much besides just score. And then his last three, 25, 20, and 24. I mean, this dude is all over the damn map. So you know... The heat is wearing off at some point, and when it does, Sadiq Bey is going to be the guy who likely benefits from that. Meanwhile, Bogdan Bogdanovich, one of the really good late grabs in fantasy drafts. I did not have him here. That one feels like a guy that just sort of slipped through. I think we all still assume that his knee is going to act up, but they're mostly keeping his minutes in check, not so much in this ballgame, and maybe he has to play a little more with Jalen Johnson out, but keep running him out there. And I know Onyeka Okongwu only had four points and three rebounds, but he played 27 minutes, two steals, a block, made both of his shots. I don't want to hear questions about him. He is a very easy hold. He's number 86, and he still hasn't even really had a chance to bust out this year. Be cool. Be cool, honey bunny. Hey, first game for the Celtics without Kristaps Porzingis. He's going to miss, a, a one would assume, a couple of weeks. Calf stuff is not a real fast recovery time, although it didn't sound too bad. Big Al Horford, man. I don't, I mean, Celtics grabbed 58 rebounds in this ballgame, so that helped everybody. It was a, a very high-paced ball game, even though the teams didn't score all that much. 
Big Al, six points, 15 boards, three assists, a steal, and two blocks. I mean, the only thing he didn't do in this game was hit a three-pointer, and he he tried. It just didn't go down. He's in all, all formats play with Porzingis out. We've seen this already when the Celtics are missing either their power forward or their center. Horford's the guy that drops in there, but this is the best-case scenario for him because he gets to play the five. When he and Porzingis are out there together, they're sort of interchangeable four-five. Playing the five is great for big men. Playing the five is great for anybody. Remember when Rob Covington was a five? Remember when LeBron was a five? So good to be back near the rim, especially on defense. Rebounds, blocks, field goal percent on offense. Juicy, man. Let's roll with Big Al. And just remember, he's still Big Al Horford. He's still 900 years old. And so there will be a game in here where he goes for four points, eight bo- or four points, five boards, and a steal. And everybody's going to be like, you suck, Dan. And I'd be like, just remember, it's over the whole period. This is a roto guy. He's not going to score that much. He's a roto guy. But I dig it. I can dig it. Sam Hauser played 32 minutes off the bench in this one. That was kind of surprising. Um, uh, how the whole thing shook out, I guess. But... Uh, Celtics were also missing Drew Holiday for this game, so that played a role. I don't know why my brain farted on that a little bit. Um, Delano Banton. I still want to call him Blanton. I know everybody wants to call him Blanton. It's just Banton. Got the start. Didn't do very much. That's why Hauser got more playing time. Hauser seems more comfortable coming off the bench. He's a three-pointer stream, and uh, let's keep going. This is taking me a while, everybody. I'm fully aware of that, but I thought we could really go through it kind of fine-tooth comb, and uh, so we might not get to as many questions, but hopefully we'll basically cover every player in the damn NBA, and maybe you won't have any. Hey, Yaka Pertle is fine. Thank goodness. He was such a weird start to the year. I admit I was starting to get nervous, but he's been really good. Last, well, I guess it's been about three weeks, give or take. Top 60 last three weeks. Steals and blocks are starting to come around. He has one of the best two-point percentages in the NBA. So, phew, as we wipe our brow. That one started to make me a tiny bit nervous, but he leveled off. Dennis Schroeder has officially fallen outside the top 100, and I am not an idiot after all. Or I am an idiot, but at least I'm not an idiot about this particular thing. Remember when he was top 50 and I started to think I was a complete idiot? Only kind of one now. That's over the last three weeks. Sorry, I got to get my stats right. Schroeder does still just hang on inside the top 100 overall. Uh, but last three weeks, he's just outside the top 100, and that feels more like the sustainable mark for him. Also, Scotty Barnes starting to slowly trend down after the world's hottest start in the universe. Rebounds are down from 10. Scoring is back under 20. Defensive stats are at 2.9. We always knew he was going to come back down. That was just not a sustainable start. Scotty Barnes over the last three weeks is number 30, which again feels like a number that could probably stick a little bit easier, and that's okay. He'd still be a draft day win, and still a miss for yours truly, but first round was always a bit of a reach. Hey, how about Max Struess? So look, I don't want to spend that much time on Struess because you guys know I love him. He's just basically been top 60 almost every single week all year long remarkably consistent. He's number 58 right now. Uh, He's rebounding like a monster, and it's been 
consistent all season. And he's always up there with the top minutes played on the team. They just love him. He provides a floor spacing element they didn't have last year. He defends better than George Niang, although there are a game, there's some games here and there where Niang gets a few extra looks. But I, I just I want to remind everybody of like that first week of the year where we saw Struce go nuts. And I I want to feel I want to say I learned my own lesson. So I want to make this more about me than it is about everybody else. Because a lesson that I've learned over the years is that sometimes I was too bashful about a pickup because I didn't believe something was sustainable. Or I felt like it was because somebody was missing or I just sort of talked myself out of it. But we saw Strews put up those really big games right out of the shoot. And remember, uh, I think the first game of the year, maybe Garland was out. But one, of those, one or two of those early games this year, that team was fully healthy other than Jared Allen. And he still did it. And so in those games, I'm looking at it like, okay, you know, what am I doing here with this dude? What am I, do I treat him as though this is a flash in the pan or do I treat it like something that we just missed? And finally this year, I, I said, I think this is something that the whole analyst community missed because almost none of us had Struess on our board. I'm sure there's someone out there that did. And I don't know, I, I don't have the time to look through and see what everybody else's rankings are. But most of us that are, sort of high profile, I guess. We didn't have him on our boards. We thought he was going to do the same crap he did in Miami last year. But like that first game even, when he put up a big line, sure, that was cool. But it was the 39 minutes that caught my eye. And then the second game, his line wasn't as big, but he played 38 minutes. That's what caught my eye. And then the third game, I think it was an overtime game, he played 42 minutes. So basically 37 for regulation. That's what was catching my eye. And I thought, this guy's going to go through a slump at some point, but if we continue to see minutes that are, like, he's among some of the league leaders in minutes played this year. Isn't that nuts? I think he's like 20th in the league in minutes per game. This is Max Struess we're talking about. That's why I stuck it out. Because the minutes were huge, and so you knew everything else would level off, but those giant minutes meant just more involvement, more rebounding opportunities, more assisting opportunities, the steals and blocks, which is not really like a claim to fame for him. And they're still not, frankly. He's at, what, 0.9 steals, 0.6 blocks. But 35 minutes a game was never a number that he sniffed in the past. He's like 20% higher than almost every any season he's ever had. And his role is bigger. And Donovan Mitchell and, and or Karis LeVert or Darius Garland, they seem to be out like every two games. So that's not bad either. So that's why I came on this show and on Twitter and I said, this guy is an ad and I want you guys holding him for a while because something new is happening. This is not my way of trying to toot my own horn. In fact, it's a way of me trying to say, I made idiotic mistakes in the past where I saw something like this and I was like, nah, I can't. come on, this is player X. He's never done this type of thing. But this year, I finally learned from those mistakes. And I said, this is a guy who's being given a different role and a different opportunity. And I'm going to believe what I'm seeing as opposed to what I saw in the past. And I hope we can all learn a lesson from that because it took me 20 damn years to learn the lesson, but I finally did. And it's paying off with this guy. It's fun to have an example of, of yourself. This is a self-improvement moment for me. Uh, good to see Darius Garland in this game also. He hurt his neck against the Lakers, left that ball game in the third and didn't come back, but he played in this one and he actually played relatively well. 
minus five more turnovers. Garland, what are you doing, man? Do you not know what your own team's jersey looks like? Pass to the proper team. And uh, Jared Allen's back, by the way. He's uh, inside the top 70 now, so that by low window is gone. Karis Levert. Okay, look. Man, I'm taking too long with every one of these games, but screw it. We got a lot to talk about. Karis Levert was a guy I had sort of softened my stance on earlier this year, but he's now uh, fallen back into the, oh, this Karis Levert type of thing. And it's not about a usage dip. It's just about efficiency. He he needs to be getting so much usage to, to overwhelm the inefficiencies that he now falls back into a head-to-head only kind of play. He's simply too bad at field goal percent, free throw percent for me to use him in Roto. I can't do it. He scores, uh, he gets steals, he sometimes hits threes. All of that stuff is good if you're just trying to compile on a head-to-head side. But Roto, he's no longer a play. And I probably should have said that last week, but I forgot, so I'm saying it now. Chicago, they got to be on the cusp of blowing it up at this point. I I mean, the Bulls are an unmitigated disaster from an actual basketball standpoint. At least fantasy-wise, they're kind of hanging in there to this point um Zach Levine got off to a slow start he's gotten better he's now inside the top 60 on the year I feel like it happened and nobody even noticed that it happened remember when he was in the 90s it only takes a couple of decent ball games DeMar DeRozan is right next to him they're both basically right at 60 which is um I guess a little bit disappointing but certainly not backbreakingly bad I think Vooch is right around there also isn't he yeah all three of those guys are basically right at 60 um all three are slightly behind where they got drafted. DeRozan was going in the late 40s. Levine, actually, Vooch was going around 55 or 60, so he's basically right where he got drafted. Levine, I think, was maybe five slots in front of him. Effectively, they're all basically ADP matches to this point. But I want them to blow it up, because I think all of these guys would get a fresh take on life if they were somewhere else, or, hell, start to blow it up. Take one of those dudes away, and the other ones will have plenty of usage to pick up for it. But they're not even the point. Point is, they're fine. You can keep trotting them out there. Kobe White is the main guy. I talked about it last week uh, and the week before, once the Zach Levine is on the trade block news dropped. And I've been vocally anti-Kobe White as a fantasy play because he's very bad at field goal percent. He doesn't rebound. He actually doesn't score as much as folks were giving him credit for in the past. His defensive stats didn't sort of cover up the other stuff. And he's consistently outside the top 150 in fantasy, even when things are going well for him. But I want to once again iterate, so reiterate, I believe is the appropriate English word for that, what I said as soon as the Zach Levine news broke, which is figure out how long you can stash Kobe White. Because if the answer is any medium length of time, you should do it. Do I think he's playable right now? I mean, this is a good ball game, but generally the answer is no because of his fantasy problems, the holes in his stat set. You could probably get away with playing him on the head-to-head side. If you can get him in Roto, I think I would do it and then just sit on him because at some point, the plug's getting pulled. I mean, this team stinks. They stink. They're one of the worst net rating teams for their, like, for a healthy core in the NBA. They're 5-13. and 13. They're four games back of the play-in tournament. I feel like we've all thought the Hornets have been really bad this year, and the Bulls are a game and a half back of them. Blech. Anyway, try to stash Kobe White however you can. Try to do it. 
Uh, no Nick Claxton on the Brooklyn side. And Cam Johnson, as folks watching can see, left with leg cramps. Hopefully this is a very small thing for him because Cam was coming on, baby. Worked his way up inside the top 70 after a slow start. Uh, this game pushed him just slightly out of the top 70 since he didn't get to finish it. But he's doing all the things we wanted him to do. Scoring threes, steals on good percentages. I like Cam Johnson a lot, so hopefully he gets better. I think the more interesting stuff in this ballgame, big games from Royce O'Neal uh, and very productive game from Dorian Finney-Smith. That's because Nick Claxton and Ben Simmons are both out. It also doesn't hurt that Cam Thomas is still out. Cam Thomas and Ben Simmons being out is very good for Spencer Dinwiddie. I got yelled at on Twitter for saying Dinwiddie was kind of a maybe for me. And frankly, I was probably being a little bit too cruel to him. He's a play with Ben Simmons and Cam Thomas out. I don't know that he's... I Frankly, I don't think he's going to be a 9-cat roto-level guy if Simmons and Thomas both come back. He's iffy when Cam Thomas comes back. And possibly a no on that front, too. Because Dinwiddie generally doesn't do much besides points, threes, and assists. Struggles with steals, typically struggles with rebounding, struggles with field goal percent a lot. Turnovers usually kind of high. Free throw percent is meh, not great. It was, uh, it was good in this ball game. I don't want you guys to use this one game as the example. But when all these guys are out and his usage is through the roof and he's basically the last initiator on the team, he's going to be good. Okay? All these things can be true at the same time. I need everybody to hold, like, four thoughts in their head all at once. By the way, when Nick Claxton comes back, Royce O'Neal... And Dorian Finney-Smith, they go away. When Claxton's out, we've seen Finney-Smith in particular has been useful. And then Royce O'Neal was the guy who picked up when Simmons was also out. So you got all these streaming options with the Nets. question is who's playing in their next damn ballgame. Well, it happened, guys. Victor Wembanyama had the true line of the night, one of the lines of the year, with 10 combined defensive stats. And a double-double. 22 points, 11 rebounds, 6 steals, 4 blocks, 2 three-pointers. I mean, this is crazy. These are the kinds of wild lines that you're going to get from time to time from Wemby this year. He's still learning the NBA. I think Jokic had the quote uh, after the ball game where it was like, look, this guy's going to change the league. He's still learning. He's still making mistakes. And that's fine. And that's basically what Jokic said. He's like, he's going to make mistakes this year. Yeah. And you drafted him probably at 15 or 17 or whatever he was going on those last two weeks before the season starts. And you're probably looking at it right now like, well, yeah, that's the reasonable way to feel about it because he has one of the most imbalanced fantasy profiles so far this year. He's been atrocious in turnovers, very poor in field goal percent, amazing in blocks, wonderful in steals, rebounds have been great. Like, everything's all over the map. At the end of the day, he is going to be, forget this year, for like hopefully a long time, one of the most fun players to have on your fantasy team. It's just that this year there's also going to be some stressors along the way where he's going to have a game where he shoots like four for 25, but also blocks five shots. And you're going to be going, I don't even know how to feel about this damn ball game. Spurs are terrible, by the way. Tried to warn you guys about that. Uh, and hopefully it doesn't creep in on games played for these guys, but it might at some point this year. Or maybe they're pre-tanking, like the Wizards and uh, the Pistons. Pistons were supposed to be getting better this year. Tried to warn you guys about that one, too. 
<sighs> anyway, um, Zach Collins is a hold. This wasn't as good of a ball game. I do think he had a little bit of foul stuff early. Um, his turnovers continue to kind of sag his overall numbers because if you're punting turnovers, he's inside the top 100. I think you can probably weather that storm even on the Roto side because he's not really hurting you a lot elsewhere. And if you draft like I draft, you're pretty good in turnovers going into the late rounds, so you can take that hit. Bigger story in this one, I think, is Jeremy Sohan coming out early with some knee issues. We didn't really get a chance to see if Trey Jones would make up for Sohan, but he's the guy that you're looking at like, oh, okay, maybe maybe this is finally the opportunity for Trey Jones to get in the mix. He's outside the top 180 on the year. And I feel like people also need to remember that Trey Jones got plenty of opportunity last season, and he was right around the edge of the top 100. 13 points, 6.5 assists, 1.3 steals, and no outside shot. That's basically what he would be if, I think, if Sohan misses time. I don't know that that's necessarily like all systems go anyway, but it is playable, for whatever that's worth. Denver side, a little bit of a lead-burying moment here. One of the news breaks of the morning is that Jamal Murray is getting close. He's now been upgraded to, like, in the mix for this week. I think Shams had a tweet that was like, he's not playing tonight, but he's getting there. Which means the Reggie Jackson, I couldn't deal with it stream, is close to over. This was a better game for Reggie Jackson, which meant that over the last three weeks, he got inside the top 200. I don't want to hear it from anybody about him. He's not been good enough for any format while Jamal Murray's been out, other than if you needed like a three games in four nights kind of thing, schedule play only kind of dude. And even then, you probably could have found better options unless the only category you needed was points. Anyway, it's soon to be done. Aaron Gordon sat this game out as well. Justin Holiday got a weird little spot start and didn't do anything with it, so who cares? That's my big story for that one. Woof. All right. Well, that was a busy Sunday. Well, but our party's just getting started. We got plenty more teams to cover here, so let's continue on. And while I do that, I want to welcome in the many of you that joined to watch live uh, since the last time I said hello to everybody. Hi. To the very large group of you that's joining and taking in your fantasy basketball here on this lovely little Monday, I am Dan Bespris. You're listening to Fantasy NBA Today. Please take a moment to find me on social at Dan Bespris, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. And also, please take a second to go hunt, uh, hunt down our Sports Ethos Discord. It is free to get in there. If you upgrade and get a fantasy pass at Sports Ethos, you can get cool other things unlocked in Discord, but you don't need to. I wish you would because it helps power the website, but you don't need to. Just come hang out with us there. It's a community that's building right now. Folks are asking each other questions. I love when people in Discord do the um, sort of an A or B thing and like click the red circle if you agree with that side or the yellow. Like you don't even have to type anything. You just vote. That's my favorite. There's a lot of that going on in there right now. And every time, every once in a while, I'll pop in and do it as well. Um, so come hang out with us there. And again, uh, if you can't find it in the chat room and you can't find it on your screen right now, it's in the show description. Let's talk Saturday. Well, Nick Batum had a good ball game on Saturday. And Kelly Oubre is supposedly somewhat close, although Sixers play the Lakers. Batum always has a good game against the Lakers, doesn't he? Feel like you could probably take a chance on him for one game, but I know as soon as I said that out loud, I'm going to regret it. 
otherwise, there's nothing else really to monitor on the Sixers side. Embiid missed a ball game and Paul Reed was awesome. Let's just remember that that's a thing. Not that anybody didn't think that was coming. I don't even really know what to say about the Thunder right now. Josh Giddy played in this ball game, but for how long? So if you guys haven't heard the news, and I'm going to do my best to sort of tap dance around it, Josh Giddy is involved in a story that has him allegedly having inappropriate relations with a high school sophomore. We don't know the legitimacy of any of it. Uh, presumably, the NBA is investigating what's going on, and at some point in the next, I don't know how long, couple of weeks, we will get a report on it. And if there's anything nefarious, we might not see Giddy for a while. Now, maybe it comes through clean. Also possible. You guys know I was, uh, well, this is certainly not why I said to avoid drafting Josh Giddy. It's just because I didn't think he was going to have much nine-cat fantasy game. And that part has turned out to be accurate. Uh, what do you do if you had him on your team and you ignored my pleas? He was on my bust list coming into the year. Um... I don't think you can sell him. I don't think anybody's going to want him with all the story stuff swirling, and he certainly hasn't been good enough outside the top 200 in 9-cat right now. So you might be stuck with a drop at some point. Oh, well. Jalen Johnson's still out with a hip injury. I still think he's a buy low because I don't think he's going to miss that much more time, but yeah, do with that as you see fit. Miami, they were without everybody for this game in Brooklyn. No Bam. No Jimmy, no Tyler Hero. Those are the big ones. So the expectation for this one was probably a decent game out of Kyle Lowry, which he was fine. He wasn't great. He was okay. Uh, probably a decent game out of Jaime Jaquez Jr., and he was much better. Um, there was a chance that Josh, Josh Richardson would have an okay game, and he did have an okay game. Uh, we thought maybe Thomas Bryant had a chance to do like a 20-some-odd-minute performance, and he was terrible. Uh, and then Caleb Martin kind of came out of nowhere to get the 31 bench minute. Uh, hey, it's playoff Caleb Martin getting hot from shooting kind of thing. Here's the deal. Uh, I don't know who's going to be available for Miami's next ball game. I believe they don't play again until tomorrow. He says very slowly while trying to look it up on the fly. Yes, they play tomorrow. I would assume... That Butler's back, at the very least. Maybe Bam as well. This felt a little bit like an opportunity for a team playing pretty well to give their guys a back-to-back -back off and then earn them what was effectively like three days of rest for, you know, four-game stretch between ball games. So I'm thinking they probably get Bam and Jimmy back for their next one tomorrow. I can't be certain. But when those guys were in... And Hero's been out. Lowry, Haquez, and then Duncan Robinson, who was also out for this ballgame, were the guys that were streamable. I don't know what the status of Duncan Robinson as well. Uh, we'll just kind of have to attack this tomorrow. We already talked Brooklyn, so let's keep moving along from that one. Uh, we talked Atlanta already. How about Washington? Washington. This was a classic Washington Wizards getting destroyed Saturday ball game. They lost by 28. I wanted to make sure I had the exact number right on that one. So nobody got normal minutes again. Jordan Poole was also a very late scratch. I think he was scratched actually between the official start of the game time or the, the listed start time and the official start time. 
This was a game that was supposed to start, I think, at f- like 4 o'clock Pacific time. But you know in the NBA, all the games start 10 minutes after the hour. And I think he was scratched between 4 and 4.10, which basically meant that nobody could move him in or out of their lineups. That sucks. Uh, Corey Kispert got the start and, you know, fart sound effect to streaming him into your lineup. I wouldn't make an adjustment from this game uh, to any of the starters. You know, Tyus Jones had actually been on a pretty good run before this one, got himself inside the top 100 because of it. This game bumped him right back outside of it. Um, Jordan Poole, prior to the late scratch, he'd been on his slow climb up the board. Again, there's really not a whole lot you could do about that. Denny Avdi has been the guy who's actually cooled off a little bit, and he's now fallen outside the top 100. I think he can hang out pretty close to where he's been, though, which keeps him playable. Daniel Gafford has been the you know big numbers in low minutes dude there. Great. Just keep trucking. And then a uh, lot of questions that keep coming in about Bilal Koulibaly. He's number 176 on the year in 26 minutes of ball game. I've said it a thousand times. I'll say it a thousand and one. He's really more of a stash for later in the year if guys get out of the way and he actually gets to take a few shots. As it stands right now, even when he's getting the minutes, he's not getting to actually touch the basketball. And you kind of need to do that to put up numbers. Lakers beat the Cavs on Saturday. That was a pretty good win for LA, actually, considering they're down to eight rotation guys. Uh, Lakers are missing. Let's see if I can do this off the top of my head. They're missing uh, Gabe Vincent, Cam Reddish, Rui Hachimura, and Jared Vanderbilt, none of whom are game changers, but all four of whom were expected to play probably about 20 minutes a game, maybe even a tiny bit more for some. So you think of it that way, you know, that's like 70 to 90 minutes that are getting wedged into the remaining players. And in this one, it meant uh, a whole hell of a lot of time for the starters. And one of those was Max Christie, who I don't know how many minutes he was supposed to get all year, but he got 33 in this one damn ball game. Is he a fantasy ad? No. Is Torian Prince a fantasy ad? Maybe. Not that he did all that much more than Christie. It's just that Prince gets some defensive stats. Uh, you know he's going to take some three-pointers out there, even if he's been ice cold from three. I think you could probably get away with a Prince stream for the Lakers game against Philly just because there's literally nobody else who's going to take those minutes from him. He's going to play 30. Unless I guess there's a chance Cam Reddish pops back up. I think he's questionable for this one, so I guess that could put a hole into it. But as it stands right now, you know, just put him on the floor for 32 minutes and he'll probably get you something like this. A few points, a few boards, a few assists, a few defensive stats, a three or a couple of them. Otherwise, everything's pretty straightforward with this team. The core four, which uh, Braun, AD, uh, Austin Reeves, and D'Angelo Russell. LeBron cooled a little bit last couple of ball games, which has dropped him now to number 20 in 9-cat. And likely he does continue to trend downward. Not because there's anything wrong with LeBron. He's having an unbelievable season, but because he's actually physically doing less this year. Except for this ball game, He took 23 shots and... Not surprisingly, the efficiency took a hit. He's listed as questionable. He is for every ball game, and I'll worry about that when he actually misses one. Pelicans lost in Utah. That was kind of weird. This is a team that's been playing pretty well lately. Uh, what's the Pelicans' record right now? New Orleans, they're 9-8, and eight, which, boy, I thought they were doing better than that. Color me surprised. Anyway, they tried some... Uh, 
other lineups here, and eh, some of them worked, some of them didn't. Jose Alvarado got 23 minutes. That's something to keep an eye on. Dyson Daniels still played 34 minutes, but Herb Jones uh, saw his minutes clipped in this ball game. Jonas Valanciunas was in those mid-20s again. There's a lot to sort of monitor with New Orleans. Now, this was also the Zion rest game, so that meant a whole lot of extra shots for Ingram, for Jordan Hawkins. Uh, I'll admit, I'm not set in how I feel about the Pels right now. Dyson Daniels had seven defensive stats. He's been a guy that I've loved to stream while CJ McCollum's been out, but he's also been kind of quiet. A couple of games where there were some blowouts. He got he didn't play his full 30 minutes. He's never going to be a loud offensive player, Dyson Daniels. He's going to get his fantasy stats from boards, assists, and steals, and he needs to be out there to get them. Do I trust throwing him out there in their next ball game? <sighs> Honest to goodness, I just don't know. I wish I had a clean yes or no answer for you guys on that one. If you're looking for steals, the answer is probably yes. If you're looking for the full roto package that he was given for a little bit, and he did in this ball game, the answer is I don't really know. And when I don't know, I tend to shy towards a no. You do what you like to, though. Keep an eye on Jose Alvarado. I don't think that he's going to get up to enough minutes before McCollum comes back for it to truly matter, but I suppose you never know. And then with Hawkins, he's not a guy that's had fantasy value when Zion's been in there, and so I'm going to go ahead and assume that this was more your one-off and take it from there. On the Jazz side, they were without Lowry Markinen. They were without Jordan Clarkson for this ball game, but they did get Walker Kessler back. And in 21 bench minutes, he double-doubled with two blocks, also had five fouls. Omer Yurtsevin started over him. I cannot imagine that that continues for the long term. This felt like an ease-Kessler-back-in kind of ball game. And I have to say, this is about as good as he looked in every ball game this year, putting up a double-double in 21 minutes. Can you still buy on Kessler? Probably not, because whoever had him during his injured stretch is probably now excited to get him back. You probably needed to buy when he went down for his injury. But I do think this is going to be a pretty good run for him coming. And if there's any chance you can get your hands on him for slightly less than full price, then you probably do it. I don't think that I'm fully bought in on Kelly Olynyk. I know he had a good ball game here fantasy-wise, but the 24 minutes is typically not quite enough for him to get it done. Uh, you saw the reserves play extra for Utah. They were the, the group that made the comeback. You know, Taylor Horton Tucker was out there for it. Olynyk was out there for it. Ochayabaji was out there for some of it. So this is a little bit of a weird fantasy line game. Everybody on the team basically played 19 to 26 minutes. That's wild, by the way. Five, ten players, and I think every single one of them was between 19 and 27. That's something in it. Freaky little footnote on this ballgame. Colin Sexton had 16 points. If Jordan Clarkson misses another game, he's someone you could look at if you just need scoring. And then Keontae George who had the prototypical young dude running an offense game because the uh, guys that are supposed to take the usage burden off of him were out. 15 points, six boards, five assists, four three-pointers. You're looking at those four categories and going, hot dog! And then you realize zero steals, zero blocks, 31% from the field, 60% of the free throw line, five turnovers. rut -row. All that said, I still like Keontae George as a hold. I just think he's better served as the guy giving the ball to the more established dudes around him. 
Dallas got blown out by the Clippers. Uh, somebody told me that Derek Lively was not worth holding. And I don't know if they meant just because he's hurt or because he hasn't been good enough, but he very much has been good enough this year, especially if you eliminate the game where he left early due to injury. He's basically like number 100 on the nose without that ball game. He's won 11 when you include it. That's a 12-team, 9-cat guy in all formats. So, yeah, if you can hold on to Lively, I think I would. I also think he trends up as the year goes because, as you can see, the Mavs are not as good without him. These are all things. And I admit, I was a little skeptical the first week or two of the season with Lively because I'm like, look, this team has Dwight Powell, they have Maxi Kleba, they have Rashawn Holmes, they have three other veteran options at center. Kleba's been basically hurt the whole damn year. But right now... Lively's the only guy that's giving them an edge at that spot. The other dude's all aged 100 years in the last two seasons. Also wanted to point out, as all analysts have said, this is not me saying I was right. This is me saying that we've all seen it a thousand times. Tim Hardaway Jr. has finally cooled off, and he's now number 150. Ride him when he's hot. Abandon ship as fast as you can when he's cold. I have mixed feelings on Norman Powell. Right at the moment, they are more positive than negative because it does kind of seem like he's embraced this role of coming off the bench with this Clippers team and being the guy that receives Russell Westbrook passes and then just firing like a madman. Like, But then this ballgame happened, and he almost took no shots, but he made all of them. So I don't really know what the hell's going on with Norman Powell. I'm going to call him an ad right now to just see how it shakes out. Because he's been getting more fourth quarter minutes lately. Uh, the 24 and a half minutes in this ballgame was somewhat blowout related, although he's eh, kind of been in that range most of these ballgames. And normally I'd say that's not enough. But he's just out there and he's firing. So I'm going to give Norman Powell a look. I'm fully aware that if he goes through a cold spell and the minutes trend down or just the overall value trends down with it, then you could fall off a cliff. But I don't know. I kind of like it right now, and I kind of want to see where it goes. We're up at an hour, aren't we? Holy crap, I'm talking a lot. Okay, let's play our weekly game of uh, did Dan forget any teams from Friday or did everybody play over the weekend? Do-do-do-do-do-do. Uh, Boston, good. Orlando, good. Phoenix, good. Memphis, good. Miami, good. Knicks, good. Chicago, Toronto, Detroit, we didn't talk about. Sacramento, we didn't talk about. Houston, we didn't talk about. And Golden State, we didn't talk about. So we got four more. Lucky for you guys, those teams are not all that complicated. But let's spend a minute with Detroit because they are very bad. Boyan Bogdanovich is going to help them. When he comes back, he's likely to play a decent chunk of minutes because, frankly, they need somebody that can score the damn basketball. I was happy to see Jalen Duran come back. He came off the bench, and he that's fine. I mean, he played 29 minutes. That's sort of the more important part. So get him fired back up. Marvin Bagley is now uh, a no longer an option. Isaiah Stewart was okay in this ballgame, but he also falls off the cliff. The other name you're watching there, in addition to the fact that Osar Thompson has slowed down, which should be a surprise to literally nobody, um, because like everything he was doing was way out over his skis. Uh, he probably profiles more as like more of this top 100 kind of guy. Uh, is Jaden Ivey 
who has these big issues with his fantasy game, do we know if he can overcome them? I'm inclined to think no. People keep asking me, if, like, is he an automatic pickup? He's had a couple of really good games, but he's had some very good shooting games to get there. He's not a great foul shooter. He's typically not that great field goal percent guy. He's not going to be the big assist dude because Cade is back. That's the way that he could have potentially floated his numbers. So, I, you know, I picked him up on a keeper league team, I think it was. I can't remember where. I, I had him in like one or two spots just to see what happens. But I'm, I think the odds that Ivy has 12 team value are pretty low, but not all the way at zero. What he has done is rendered poor Alec Burks unusable, and so that's fine. What was the other team I mentioned? The Sacramento Kings. Uh, not a ton of surprises there. Keegan Murray's missed a couple here, and Harrison Barnes has been the guy to do a little bit more. A couple extra shots from Malik Monk as well. Both those guys profile more as head-to-head type plays as opposed to Roto. And then there's a chance that Keegan's back for the next ball game anyway. So, cool, man. What was the other team I said we were missing here? Uh, Houston and Golden State. All right, we're zipping down the board. Everybody watching is going to get dizzy from watching me slide up the uh, the list of teams here. Jabari Smith Jr. has had a couple of really good ball games in a row. Admittedly, he's shot the ball better, but you could also call that a bit of a leveling off for him, and that's good. And I dedicated one a full tweet to Jabari Smith Jr. over the weekend, I think, uh, which is basically like, I'll admit, I was too nervous to draft him. Because I didn't know if his stat set would come around fast enough. And I think I said, I think the way I phrased it during the draft season was like, this is a guy who has fantasy appeal because he can score, hit threes, rebound, get steals, blocks. And there's a, like, he's not awful at the free throw line and he'll do it on low turnover. So there is appeal there. But my great fear was, will he actually get any opportunity with all the new bodies they brought in? And the more that Alperin Shengun is doing this year, and if he does even, are we sure that the percentages are going to follow? So I avoided him because I thought there's too many question marks here. And right now, he's doing about where he was drafted. I think he's number 85 in 9-cat. And, and honestly, you take that. And I'm happy for the dude. Even if I don't have him on teams, I'm happy for him. I was just too nervous to take the plunge. I think that's really the only note on the Rockets. Freddie Van Vliet has been a top 40 guy the last week or two, but overall that hasn't moved his numbers very much. Steals are still going up, guys. He's only at .7, so you can still buy on him, although I don't know anybody's selling on Van Vliet because he's averaging 17 and 9, and I think they're probably aware the only thing he hasn't done is get you steals. Uh, Golden State's the other one. Draymond Green is coming back, so everything's about to get a board shuffling. For the Warriors, Chris Paul was a lot of fun. While Draymond was out, he will likely take a little bit of a hit, but CP3's sitting around number 60 right now in 9-cat while still only shooting 40%. So even though presumably the assists will come down, I would assume the field goal percent eventually ticks back up to something in the mid-40s, and so those will kind of counterweight each other. And no, I'm not super worried about it. Clay Thompson's been a little bit better lately. At least he's pushed himself back inside the top 200 for the year. I know, shudders. You're holding on Clay. You're probably not worried about the Sharch Kevon Looney thing now with Draymond coming back. And then Andrew Wiggins, man, I, I don't know what's wrong with him. I've said it basically every week since this season started. 
I think he's broken. I don't understand how or why. I just think something's mentally wrong, or physically. It could be physically, too. But it feels like he's mentally snapped. And so I don't really have a problem with dropping Wiggins in most 9-cat formats. And there's a chance he wakes up at some point later this year. But, I mean, there's no guarantee. Because if he really is, like, kind of semi-broken, he's killing your fantasy team while you're waiting on it. Let's do a quick look at Monday. I don't think we're going to have time for questions today. Sorry, guys. This show's running very, very long. I'll do a quick scan of the chat room for any sort of big picture stuff I want to do. Uh, but I don't think we're going to have a whole lot of time. Luckily, we talked about all 10 of these teams because we just profiled all 30 in our weekend review. But very quickly, in case you guys forgot what we're looking for tonight, Detroit, very little. Jaden Ivey. Uh, and then the health of Jalen Duran, Washington. You know, this presumably should be a tighter ball game, so hopefully the starters get to go. Lakers, a health status of any of those sort of fringy rotation guys, but then if they're all out, do you give a look at Torian Prince? Philly, do I or don't I try Nick Batum? Hmm. Screw it. I'll play him. I'm going to regret it. I know it. Blazers, you know, the scoot growth arc. You can watch that every game if you want to, but you know, I know we all like watching young guys, so when he does have kind of the breakout game, you're going to want to be there to see it when it happens. But even when that happens, it's not a guarantee that it'll happen again for another two weeks. So just know, you know, it's going to be a, a sine wave. It'll be ups and downs. The trend line will be upward. We'll get there. Pacers. Did we talk about the Pacers at all? I think I skipped the Pacers, guys. Sorry about that. I did miss one team. Did somebody in the chat room tell me that? Let's go to the chat and see if somebody was like, Dan, you didn't talk about the Pacers. Uh, no. But I didn't. Anyway, starter iteration Buddy Heald is magical. Um, honestly, Benedict Matherin coming off the bench is, is he's not going to be a 12-teamer, but at least it's probably a little bit better for his confidence. Um, Aaron Neesmith has missed time, and that's allowed Obi Toppin to do a little bit extra, but that's a... A path you don't want to walk down unless you're feeling real saucy. And uh, that's kind of it for Indiana. I think it's just nice to see Buddy Heald getting a chance, which, again, like, I didn't draft him because, by all accounts, he was not part of their plans this year. But the poor play of Matherin and other fringy guys on that team kind of forced Rick Carlisle's hand say, all right, buddy, I know we haven't gotten an extension with you and you're on the trade block, but, frankly, we need you in the starting lineup and he's embraced it, so if you squatted on him, have at it. He got dropped in a couple of leagues I'm in. I put in a big old fab bid in him on him on a, at a Yahoo Public Prize League, and I got him, and uh, cool. Pelicans, we talked about, you know, it's the do I, do I or don't I on Dyson Daniels is kind of the only one there. You can keep an eye on Alvarado if you want. Utah, it's all about health tonight. We need to know who's playing. Is Markin in back? Is Clarkson back? Who's if, if one of them's back and not the other, that could also determine how we roll with this team and Walker Kessler as well. Nuggets, nothing. Nothing. And then the Clippers, I know we could say we're watching the, the three stars, but they're, they're figuring it out. Slowly but surely, they're figuring it out. It's really more about Norm Powell for me. Is Norman Powell going to be playable? By the way, Clippers are a five-and-a-half-point favorite for this game. That's somewhat surprising, although... I think Denver's on a back-to-back, -back, so maybe that's uh, the culprit there. If I Did Denver play yesterday? Yeah, they played yesterday. Okay, quick 
very quick look at the chat room because we're already an hour and 10 minutes in. You guys are going to hear me scanning the questions to see if anything I think I maybe didn't talk about but should have. Okay, I like this one. Where do you see DeJounte Murray and Jimmy Butler as this season progresses? Um, I don't see any reason why Jimmy Butler won't continue his like reasonably paced ascent up the board. He was down in the 70-80 range. He's at 36 right now. The assists and the steals have been trending up, and I have every reason to believe that they will continue to do so. DeJounte Murray was someone that I thought would be in the mid to late 30s, but would be healthy, so he'd be better totals than per game. Right now, he's had a couple of bad ones in a row that's dropped him into the 40s. He'll go on a hot stretch here in the next week or two. That'll probably push him back up into the late 30s, and uh, that hopefully takes care of that question. Let's see, who else on this chat board did I not talk about already? (laughs) Chris Middleton I haven't talked about. Someone on Twitter uh, said, I know you said to avoid him like the plague, but what do I do if I'm stuck with him right now? And that's basically what this question is. Uh, Brian says, is it time to drop him? Um, I don't know, is my answer. If you have him right now, because now he's dealing with an Achilles issue, he was just finally starting to get to playable level, and uh, an injury popped up, and I don't like hearing about Achilles I don't think you're dropping Middleton. If you have him, you probably have to stick it out, but hopefully you guys heeded my warning and don't have to deal with this. What else do we got? Um, Question about selling Michael Porter Jr. I think I'd rather do that in its own separate show. But honestly, guys, like top 60 is a pretty reasonable spot for him to be in, so I'm okay with that. Is it time to drop Jonathan Isaac? Yeah, probably. I don't know. I mean, we picked him up when he had 20 minutes and then he immediately went back down to 13. And it feels like they want to keep him in the 13 to 15 range unless he's playing extraordinarily well and, like, ate his Wheaties that day. I don't know that he's a guy you can just have sit on your team. Um, Let's see here. Should I stash Ben Simmons? Guys, I'm real pessimistic on Simmons, and I have been basically my entire adult life. Um... I honestly don't know if he plays again this season, which is probably not fair. Maybe he does come back for like a game or two and then goes back down. I would not, actually. Um, I, I have him on one Roto Games cap team because it doesn't really hurt to do so. But if he's like giving you zeros and you can't, I have no problem with a the drop there. Uh, Let's see here. What do we got? Lots of folks chatting amongst themselves. JP says Pistons are going to win their first one tonight in a long time. I hope so, man. I don't want to see a team win that lose that many games in a row. That's sad. Uh, let's see here. Anything else that needs to be discussed? Oh, Marcus Smart. He came up in a couple of questions. Should he be stashed? So, uh, kind of. I mean, he's probably still out another couple of weeks. My guess would be two more weeks out. And he was not a top 100 roto guy when he went down, although some of that was because in a very unsightly high number of turnovers. If you're punting turnovers, he was inside. So I'm going to say... Yeah, I think we're close enough to stash Marcus Smart, assuming we get him back in about two weeks. That's about the length of time you'd stash a guy with his per-game performance level. And I think an hour and 15 is enough, don't you guys? 
yeah. Thank you for all the good questions, folks. I'm sorry I didn't get to all of them. Uh, please do here on your way out, take a moment to like and definitely subscribe. However you're taking in this show, YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, some other RSS feed, whatever it is, live after the fact, the subscription button is the big one for us. And then I will once again throw our Discord link up on the screen before I depart. Please do check us out over there. And I am on social media at Dan Bespris. Back with you guys in about three and a half hours with our weekly preview show. That'll be with the great D-Ball, B-Ball. We'll break down some streaming options for this week, maybe even look ahead to uh, what the in-season tournament is doing to scheduling going forward. So there's actually kind of a lot at play there. Again, that'll be close to 2 o'clock Pacific time, um, give or take. Kind of depends on how long it takes me to get through all my midday stuff. But again... Really wonderful, big audience on this one. Thank you guys for hanging out. I'll talk to you in a little bit. I am at Dan Vesper. Sorry, forgot that. Over on Twitter. We'll see you guys uh, over there. Later. <laughs>